Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler, and this week I'm joined by a very special guest. For the last year or so, there's been a lot of conversation, heightened conversation, about the inclusion of transgender women in women's sports. Chelsea Wolfe has been competing in BMX for the last few years, and with the inclusion in 2020 of her event in the Olympics for the first time, she has a shot at being Olympian. She has a really good shot. There, there's never been a publicly out transgender athlete in the Olympics. And Chelsea very well may be the first. There are several other transgender athletes who have a shot. But Chelsea right now is ranked third in the country and the U.S. is likely going to take two athletes. She talks with me about uh, just being a BMX competitor, uh, her history with bikes, and also what being an athlete who is trans means to her. She has a really fantastic take on 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 just being a woman and trans trans woman being just the kind of woman she is. Some really. Uh, really fantastic stuff. So anyhow, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chelsea Wolf. I'm joined now by Chelsea Wolf, a BMXer, and uh, recently parted with a wisdom tooth. Chelsea, how, how are you feeling today? Much better than the past few days. It's um, still pretty swollen, a little sore, but it's getting there. Were you able to to, to eat the proper Thanksgiving meal? Painfully, yes. Actually, the day after Thanksgiving, I had to go into work a few hours late because I had to ice my cheek for two hours to where I could talk to customers. <laughs> wow. Um, so, so Chelsea, I, I, I appreciate you you joining me today, and it, it's amazing that uh, you know I've just kind of heard about you uh, last week. Most most LGBTQ athletes don't fly under my radar, but but somehow. You've flown under my radar for a while. Um, and, and, and when I was kind of looking around online just for information about you and your background, I, I, I just couldn't find a heck of a lot. Have you, have, you been, have you been trying to fly under my radar? Not particularly, um, but I will say that compared to some other LGBTQ athletes, I don't necessarily seek out as much attention just because I kind of just, I don't know, I want to just have a normal, like average career. Like I want the, my riding to be the focus of things rather than like getting a bunch of attention for being LGBTQ. I just want to be an athlete. Yeah, of course. And you, we hear that all the time that, that, you know, when people come out, they're afraid that they're suddenly going to be the, the, the gay athlete or the trans athlete, and they want to be an athlete who is trans. Um, but but exactly yeah. But you you know what does it what does it mean to you being a trans athlete, um, being an athlete who is trans, uh, and 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 being able to inspire people who who might also be trans, and 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 look at the current conversation in in sports, and and be concerned that 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 they might not be able to participate. What does it mean to you to? to kind of be out there as, as much as you can to inspire other people. 
Well, when I was first getting into BMX freestyle and I discovered that there were other women doing it and starting careers and all, I mean, I was massively inspired. I wanted to be just like them. But then, of course, immediately my brain is like, yeah, but you're not going to be able to. Like, you won't be accepted. It won't be supported. Like, at the time, competitions weren't really a thing for uh, female BMXers. But, like, even just having sponsors, going to jams, being just accepted in the community, I did not think would go as well as it did. So, I mean, I just, I looked. I was searching like crazy, hoping that I would find somebody doing what I'm doing now back then that I could, like, look to and see that, yeah, this is okay, I can exist as who I am and be a BMX athlete, but I obviously didn't find one. So when the opportunity arose to start my career, I realized that if there was going to be that person who blazes the trail, it's going to have to be me. So as far as like being visible as a trans athlete, what I do love is that I get to be the person I needed when I was younger, which is very healing for me retroactively and then also it just feels amazing anytime I hear that I've helped someone feel comfortable in their skin doing what they love to do and just not have to question whether or not it's okay. It's interesting you talk about you know being concerned that you you wouldn't be able to participate and not having that role model. What was the process you went through of figuring out whether you were were able to compete or, or not? Uh, it started off with, um, so BMX Freestyle got added to the Olympics, or well, it was scheduled to be added to the Olympics. This will be the first year in 2020 that BMX Freestyle is in the Games, but they first announced that it was happening back in 2016. So the second it was announced, I started doing all the research I could to figure out what the rules were, because I knew that like UCI and the IOC had trans athlete policies, but given that my sport wasn't an Olympic sport or in the UCI, it was never really a concern for me to find out what the exact policies were. So once they were added, I did what I could to research, but searching through those rule books were something else. So I ended up uh, trying to contact UCI and the organizations that run the contest and wasn't able to get too many answers until they scheduled a test event here in the United States. So I just showed up. I'm like, well, they're going to have to tell me what the rules are one way or another. I'm just going to start hiding. So I went to the event in Denver back in 2016. And that was like, I finally got the answer. It was like the morning of qualifying. They finally got back to me what the rules were. So from there, it was a pretty long process to prove that I satisfied all the rules, but finally got a license, I guess, a little over a year ago and started competing a year ago, actually, I'm getting my Facebook time hops of my first UCI competition. So when you showed up at that that uh, competition in Denver, did you intend to compete in the competition? And, and did they let you? Because it sounds like they didn't license you for a while. Yeah. So if I could, like, if I could have competed, I definitely would have. Um, however, I was not able to compete. Um, it was, it was, I don't know. It's hard to say whether or not I even wanted to. I can't remember. Like, I know, like, obviously I wanted to be able to compete, but it was a very confusing weekend for sure. It's like full of lots of ups and downs, highs and lows. Very, it was an amazing time, whole experience of being out there for a week, getting to ride with like some of my favorite pros that I've looked up to since I was younger. And 
that was all great. Not getting to compete, not so much. So, um, I yeah, I probably I would have competed if they had let me, but they were basically like, well, the way is that you prove that you meet the requirements is having the license. And at the time, nobody had licenses because for BMX freestyle, the programs weren't in place yet. Um, so the, the rules were like half enforced, half not. It was kind of a weird situation. So it's really the, the, the nascent stages of the, of the sport being elevated to another level. And that's basically what it was. It's like it was a test event. It was run by UCI rules, except since nobody had UCI licenses, they couldn't enforce certain rules. So, of course, elite-level athletes in Olympic sports aren't allowed to take drugs. The event was in Colorado, and it was a bunch of BMXers. Everyone was smoking weed. <laughs> so there were some things that were enforced, some things that weren't. Um, I know even, like, the main things, like, how the women's class is supposed to get separate practices, separate from just the dude's craziness on the course during their practice. Um, Corey Coffey had to, like, get in their face about that because they weren't going, they didn't schedule a practice for the women to get on the course separate from the men. They had just done a couple of open practices and thought that was enough. So she was like, these are your roles, enforce them. I mean, that is such a fascinating, uh, you know, kind of issue that just the whole issue of the legalization of marijuana. I mean, you you have a culture with BMX racing and I think probably with skateboarding where where pot is kind of part of the culture in a way that it isn't with swimming and track and field. How, how are they navigating that or or are they just kind of turning a blind eye? Um, they are navigating that the same they do with any other sports. If anyone does want to compete in the UCI event, try to compete in the Olympics, um, have a license, you can't smoke weed. Um, if you do and you get caught, then you get the sanction just like any other sport. I don't believe they're planning on changing that. I'm pretty sure they have some kind of science that says it is some kind of physical, like aerobic advantage or something like that. I don't know. Um, I just, I stopped smoking, basically. I wasn't super into it in the first place, but it's, I don't know, definitely for me, the trade-off of like chasing down my dreams versus like smoking weed occasionally is, that was an easy choice to make. So I'm assuming everyone else stopped as well. I mean, but you never know. But if they do get caught, they get in the same trouble as anyone would with swimming or running, anything like that. It's the same rules. You talked earlier about um, riding with some of your idols. How have the other women in the sport um, embraced you or, or received you? So before I was competing, it was almost universal that people were either pretty chill or supportive about it. Like no one really, I didn't have too many issues with the other women riders competing it's kind of changed a few of their opinions, but I more or less like I have a, I don't know. I don't care to know. I don't want to know policy about it. Like if somebody, I mean, if somebody has a problem with me and they come to me with it, that's their undoing. But I definitely have people tell me all the time, like so-and-so said this or that. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Like 
you can think what you want, but I mean, the rules are the rules. So it's, yeah, it doesn't affect me at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you mentioned the rules and, and, and you're playing by the rules, but but I see all the time people say, oh, you know, they, well, in Martina Navratilova called an entire class of athletes cheaters, said that, you know, tra- trans women and women's sports are cheaters. When, when, when you see things like that and, and you know you're playing by the rules, how does that make you feel? Well, it's definitely frustrating because no matter who you are, you have to work so hard to get to the elite level and compete where we're at. So it's frustrating that somebody would discredit all of your work just because you're trans. But at the same time, it's you can kind of chalk it up mostly to just random losers on the internet and I just ignore it. I do my thing. Like I'm not going to convince them one way or another. Um, so I just live my life to the fullest, accomplish my dreams. And if they have a problem with that, whatever, <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem to me. When I talk to trans athletes, a lot of times they talk about how after transitioning, they started working even harder in their sport. They started training harder. They started eating right uh, more. They started focusing even more on on their level of competition. Did you find the same thing? Have, have, have you worked harder at this since transitioning? Um, well, actually, so I got into BMX freestyle around the same time that I started transitioning. Um, a good portion of that was partially in the closet. Some people knew, some people didn't. Um, but as far as like riding bikes in general, I've always, like I grew up racing BMX and I would say I really didn't start doing a whole lot of actual off the bike training for racing or freestyle. Um, really until I started trying to compete in the Olympics, like in 2016, once that was announced, this was already post-transition, but that's when I really started putting a lot more effort into like cardio, physical strength and fitness and more than just going out and having fun, like actually learning specific tricks because I know that it will score well, not just because it's a fun thing to do. So I, I, I mean, I've definitely started working a lot harder in recent years, but whether or not it was before transition, like there was no point of me riding freestyle that was before a transition really. How far back does your your bike riding go? Were you like three years old and, and, and addicted to your bike the way a lot of kids are? Um, yeah, I, was, I mean, just riding around the neighborhood I've always done. Actually, the, uh, the Jeep that I drive to this day, um, my first day riding a bike in the neighborhood, I got squirrely and crashed into the back of it and the scratch is still there. Um, that would have been like whatever age kids learn how to ride a bike. And then I got into racing when I was six years old, did that up until my early 20s. And when I was 15, also got into BMX freestyle and a few other forms of cycling. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lake Park, Florida, the West Palm Beach area. Um, I've lived here more or less my whole life. I moved to Orlando for six years, but I'm back in this part of town now save some money and be able to travel for that first year where everything was self-funded. You talk about funding. How do you fund your competition and your sport now? 
So this first year was 100% out of my own pocket. Um, a lot of my equipment is paid for by sponsors, but as far as the travel, hotels, food, every other expense, um, that came from working in the customer service department at a grocery store. And then the reason why I moved from Orlando back to my hometown is my parents let me move into my old room so I could save what I was spending on rent and put that towards flights and whatever other expenses I would come up with. I know it was like probably several tens of thousands of dollars in this first year to follow the World Cup tour on my own dime. So I was able to afford it, finish the year, um, and also end up finishing high enough that I'm on Team USA next year for the um, World Cup series, the U.S. national team. So they'll be funding and supporting my writing for next year. Well, let's uh, let's give you a chance to plug some of your sponsors. Who who are some of the the the, the sponsors that are backing you? Uh, so the oldest one is GT Bikes, uh, GT Bicycles. They actually gave me a call on my way back from Denver in 2016. I was driving to the airport and got the call asking if I wanted to ride for them. So I've been aboard a GT Globetrotter for about three years now. Um, more recently from that, let's see, I guess the next one was RYB Denim out of Canada. I met them in Toronto at one of my like first C1 competitions, and they flowed me some pretty nice denim. Uh, from there, Profile Racing. Um, we haven't had like an official talk of whether or not it's a sponsor, but they've always done whatever they could to help me out. So very much appreciated because every little bit helps. And then recently also got a co-sponsorship from SCG Shoes. So have basically the best shoes that you can possibly buy on my feet at all times. <laughs> were you afraid that as you're entering this, this sport at a higher level, were you afraid that being trans might scare some sponsors away? And, and, and do you have any evidence that, that it has? Um, no, I mean, like the, the companies that stand behind me, they are actually like they stand behind me in anything I do. They want to see me succeed, whether it's competing at a high level, just making videos and hanging out. Like they're stoked to see what I do. Like for me, like being trans either is not important to them or they actually support what I'm doing and want to see that change in the world. Um, I couldn't see a company picking me up in the first place that wasn't 100% on board with the success of trans athletes in the world. Okay, well, hang tight, everybody, and we'll be right back with more. Welcome back to my conversation with Chelsea Wolf. Uh, Chelsea, um, one of the things that was interesting to me as as we were talking before this is is that while you are trans, that I think you said is number seventeen on the list of things you use to describe <laughs> yourself. Talk to me a little about that and talk to me kind of where where woman is on that list. So, I mean, if I were to actually, like, list what parts of my identity were most important, I, I have no idea where everything would actually wind up. But, like, first and foremost is, like, being a BMX rider is one of the most important things to me. It's always been a part of my life. And I would say, like, being a woman is a pretty important part. Um, otherwise, I wanted to put in so much work to get to be one. But being trans, though, is just like a minor 
adjective to describe what type of woman I am. So I don't necessarily have much of my identity invested in the fact that I'm trans. It's more just invested in the fact that I'm a woman. But because of the type of woman I am, I am a trans woman, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, when they um, hear this or read about you, they are going to immediately say, oh, trans athlete. And some of them, some of them will be inspired by that. And some of them will uh, very much not be and, and, and will use it as a, as a, as a weapon against you. How does it, what does it feel like when people just reduce you to being trans and particularly a, a, a trans athlete? I mean, I wouldn't say it's bad necessarily. Like, I don't think being trans is a bad thing. So if someone sees me as a trans athlete or just only as trans and like not even as a woman, I mean, that's not accurate to who I am as a person, but it's not a bad thing really to think those things. It's just annoying if they think that any of my success is due to me being trans rather than me having to fight through so much extra to be an athlete as a trans woman. You talk about, about how, you know, some people, Will, will maybe dismiss some of your success. Talk to me a little bit about what your training looks like and, and how hard are you working at this? Kind of try to, if you can give us an, an idea of, of what like an average week of, of work with this looks like for you. Well, since DMX Freestyle got added to the Olympics three years ago, I've been pouring 100% of everything I could possibly pour into it just because if I fall short, I don't want to have regrets and say, I wish I had done this differently or worked harder at that or sacrificed this. I want it to be because I genuinely just fell short, wasn't good enough. Um, I just, I don't want to have the regrets of thinking there was something more I could have done. So I really put in as much effort as I possibly can. It looks like a lot of cardio training because these courses and the one-minute runs are very difficult to maintain your best riding throughout the whole time. Um, so I've been putting a lot of work into that. Also just uh, general strength training to be able to move the bike around the way you need to handle the G-forces of the transitions when you go into them so fast. Like I've had many occasions where I went into a transition too fast and my legs would just buckle and you don't want to do that going up a ramp. Um, so strength training, a lot of cardio, and then riding almost every single day for a few hours at one of my local training parks. Being um, focused on this sport in particular, and it just now being introduced to the Olympics, were you an Olympics fan when you were a kid? Not really. Um, I grew up BMX racing, and that didn't get added until, I guess, 2008. And at that point, I started watching the BMX racing Olympics. But other than that, there weren't really any sports that interested me that were in the Olympics. I never watched. It's interesting that, you you know, you, you don't have a long history of the Olympics. You, you, you weren't a fan yet. It really would mean something to you to be a part of it. Why is that? I mean, when you say sports, the first thing, like the most premier event that is going to pop into everyone's head, regardless of what sport they participate in, is probably the Olympics. So to have a chance to compete in and medal in the Olympics would be, I mean, indescribable. 
the emotions I'm sure would come with that. So that's kind of why I'm pouring myself so heavily into this. And also it really is, was and kind of still is the only opportunity that's available for me or really a lot of the female athletes because there are some other competition events in BMX freestyle, like the X Games, um, Simple Session, there used to be Do Tour. None of those have a women's competition or a class, so we don't get to compete in those at all. And then there is another event, the Vans Pro Cup, but I don't even know if they have a public rule book. I haven't been able to find it. I finally did hear back from them about whether or not I would be allowed to compete, but there were many years that those events were going on, and I just didn't even know if I would be allowed to ride in the event. So when the Olympics got involved, and I knew they were through the UCI, I knew that both of those organizations had policies to ensure trans athlete inclusion. It just became like the only avenue that was open for me to start working towards. So that was kind of why I ended up gravitating towards the Olympics and park competitions. It was, it was really the only door open for me. Beyond winning a medal and, and, and competing, what, what would it mean to you to put on that Team USA uniform and, and represent the United States of America in the opening ceremony and, and then in your competition? It would be an honor to kind of get to just show the world what I think the United States should be about. Um, I got a little taste of that this uh, couple weeks ago at the World Championships in China. Um, got to compete for Team USA, wearing the Team USA jersey. And it's very exciting because there are a lot of things about our country that I'm frankly ashamed of and disgusted by. There are like a lot of good things, but I feel like overwhelmingly our country has done and continues to do a lot of bad things in the world. So I hope to kind of represent the good parts of the United States and inspire like both people from the United States and elsewhere that we're not all horrible. <laughs> So I just, I want to kind of show what the United States is about, not just what our government and our military does. To the best of my knowledge, there's never been a publicly out trans athlete competing in the Olympics. What would it mean to you to break that barrier for athletes who are trans? I mean, like I said, I think earlier in the interview is just, getting to be the inspiration that someone like younger me needed to see in the world. It just means so much to me and getting to do that at the Olympics would just be like the highest level possible of doing that in my sport. So it would be unreal to get to be like, make that kind of history and contribute that kind of change to the world. Obviously, um, you know, you, you, you train, you work hard, in part for you, you want to succeed, you individually want to achieve. Um, how much of, of what you do and, and, and the work that you put in is driven by that potential to inspire other young girls uh, who are just looking for someone, so looking for a role model that you did not have? Honestly, I would say possibly even more than I'm comfortable with. And I say that because while I want to 
help inspire people and change the world, that would literally be putting the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I don't want that kind of pressure. I want to be able to do this for myself because if it works, awesome. I hope everyone gets to enjoy the benefits of having a trans athlete in the Olympics. But if it doesn't work, I don't want to feel like I've just let the entire world of trans children down who are depending on me for inspiration. So I definitely like that. That motivation is there, but I do try to like make note to minimize that as much as I can and make sure that I'm continually doing this for me and my enjoyment and just my own personal sense of accomplishment and know that if it does end up working out, that no matter what, I'm still going to be the inspiration that so many people need. At this point, what do you think the chances are that you're going to make Team USA? How how many women are they taking in your category and and uh and 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 where are you on that list uh so total number of women competing in dmx freestyle for the olympics is going to be nine the top qualified country from the point series leading up to it gets to send two riders and currently that is the united states leading the points it's looking likely that we'll still be leading the points at the end of the point season so more more or less we're probably sending two women to represent the United States in the Olympics. Currently, I'm ranked third. So it's still close. There are still some events that I can improve that standing. And from what I understand, the more recent events leading up to the Olympics are going to be the ones that get a little bit more scrutiny. So, I mean, I'm working harder than ever trying to improve and be one of the top two women from the U.S. that does get to compete. Um, but it's definitely no easy task. Uh, Scott, Hannah Roberts is the number one ranked woman from the United States. And then Teres Venegas is the number two ranked woman. And they are also the number one and two ranked riders in the world. So no easy task for sure to catch up to them. But I know it's possible. Otherwise, I wouldn't be working so hard. I would have given up already. Well, I think I speak for the whole community in saying, uh, you know, we're going to be cheering for you. And you know, the weight of the community shouldn't be on your shoulders. Uh, it, it, it isn't. Um, it's just it's inspiring just to see you competing at the level that you are today. So, you know, I hope I, while I understand that putting that pressure on yourself motivates you, um, you know, don't don't let it get to a point where it becomes a, 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 a detraction. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of like on the hard days where I'm questioning why I'm pouring so much of myself into this. Like, that is what I remind myself is like, I'm being the person that would have made my life to see when I was a little kid. So that does motivate me at the hardest points. But I would say, mostly, like, I try to keep it just to be self motivated, because I know, like, I will get so hard on myself if I let myself be convinced that that's the only reason I'm doing this. And it doesn't work out. If somebody wants to support you in in your journey here, uh, uh, hopefully to the Olympics, but if not to to other places, world championships, how can they do that? Uh, Currently, I don't have any donation forms or anything set up. But I suppose if somebody wanted to, they could. I have had people reach out to me in the past and either just start a conversation and directly Venmo or PayPal me money. Um, But currently, there's no like place you can just like log on to and 
do it without hitting me up first. But I am on Instagram. The public account, Chelsea Wolf BMX, is the handle. And my direct messages are open if anybody wants to support in that way. I'm extremely grateful for it. So they could always just shoot me a message. I promise I don't bite. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, best of luck to you. And, and we'll be cheering for you. If there's anything we can do, let us know. Um, I end every one of these interviews with the same two questions. And given you're not a big Olympics fan or weren't, my the first one might be tougher than the second one. Is there an Olympian uh, from the past who has inspired you? Uh, but again, I know I know you're not a big Olympics fan until now. Uh, yeah, like not particularly. Um, <laughs> there was really no Olympian in the past that I saw doing their thing, and it made me feel like, oh, this is what I want to do someday. Um, it was more or less I was kind of, I mean, I'm at like the prime of my riding career and my sport gets added to the Olympics. So it was like, it'd be kind of silly not to just pour my entire heart into trying to make it happen. Well, what's neat is that hopefully someday the, someone will answer that question that Chelsea Wolf was uh, an, an uh, Olympian who inspired me. That would be truly something. That would be something. Uh, second question I always ask is that the, the name of the, the podcast comes from a line from Lord of the Rings. Uh, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? And, and either way, who's your favorite character? Um, I am not. I might get some hate mail on Instagram for this later that I have never even watched any of the Lord what? of the Rings or read the books or anything. I am familiar with the fact that it was written to be like a representation of like communism versus socialism or capitalism. Am I wrong? Oh gosh, you're going far deeper than like, I no, 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 sorry, sorry. Not, not economics. Um, I think it was like the, uh, the Nazis, like the Axis versus the allied powers or something. I just know it had some kind of political science um, inspiration behind it, which is something that I learned about in my political science degree. Maybe something, I don't know, you might be interested in checking I, out. I, I'm, I'm going to dig into you. that. Now, now, now I, there's a whole other meaning for the name <laughs> of the podcast now. Yeah, so like I've actually, I've never watched or read any of the Lord of the Rings stuff, um, but I am familiar with the character Schmeagel saying my precious, and I quote that every now and then just because it's applicable to many parts of life. So oh, let's go with Smeagol. <laughs> so you don't know it, but you have a favorite character. I love it. And you, and, uh, quoting, <laughs> I, that's a, that's a, that's a, you're the first one to say Schmeagol, Um, but uh, everybody does know my precious <laughs> other one. So. Well, I, I, uh, I, I thank you for joining me. Uh, it, it was a real honor. And again, anything that we can do for you, just let us know. Again, thank you so much for having me on, and I really appreciate that, and I uh, hope to keep in touch. Conversations like these with transgender athletes are so important to have, given how much misinformation is being put out there about trans women and women's sports, and so I so appreciate Chelsea Wolf coming on and having this conversation, and, and for being willing to step out into the light, being inspiration for other people who are trans in sports. Be sure to go to Instagram and follow Chelsea. It's Chelsea Wolf BMX, and that's Wolf with an E. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Charlie Cullen Walters, who puts together an annual event called Gold Meets Golden that brings together Olympians, many of whom are LGBTQ, and entertainers during the Golden Globes here in Los Angeles. 
Uh, it'll be a fun conversation with Charlie, who has a long history with the Olympics. Anyhow, come back next week for that conversation, and thanks for joining us.